You are listening to Dermcast.tv, the official online media resource for the Society of Dermatology PAs. I hope you understand me, and uh, I'm presenting about pediatric cutaneous bacterial infection today, and um, I'm not going to mention any products uh, that's relevant to industry. And let's start with the pretest questions. And in staph scalded skin syndrome, A, the staph bacteria can be isolated from the nares, conjunctiva, or the perianal area. B, the patients always have associated multiple systemic involvement, including GI, hepatic, musculoskeletal, renal, and CNS. And SSSS is common in adults and adolescents. D can be caused by Pseudomonas aeruginosa. E, none of the above. So next, scarlet fever, A, should be treated with penicillins, B, should be treated with sulfur drugs, C, is always associated with toxic shock syndrome, D, can be associated with pharyngitis or circumoral power, E, both A and D are correct. Strep can be treated with the following antibiotics. A, penicillin. B, first generation cephalosporin. C, clindamycin. D, sulfamethoxazole trimethoprim. E, A, B, or C. And F, cipro. MRSA is only acquired via hospital. It can be acquired in the community. It's more aggressive than OSSA. Needs treatment with first-generation cephalosporins. A and C or B and C. Okay, um, I'm just talking about bacterial pathogens of the skin today, and most of the ones that we are fighting is Staph aureus, which is in the form of oxycillin-sensitive Staph aureus, or methicillin-resistant Staph aureus, which is OSSA or MRSA, and group A strep, uh, which we call GABHS, 
which is group A, beta hemolytic strep, and then uh, not as common, Pseudomonas aeruginosa. So the top two are the staph and the strep, and you need to know how to treat those two by heart. And there's a lot of different presentations of cutaneous bacterial infections. Uh, we see them as folliculitis. We see them as non-bullous impetigo and bullous impetigo. And then we see them progress farther and become furuncles, carbuncles, or abscess. And then if they get more spread, they get cellulitis. And if they're around the nails, they have acute paronychia. And then if they affect the skins of the finger, dactylitis. And then if they're really very invasive, especially on the face, it's called erysipelas. And then, of course, you have your dermatosis, where your skin barrier is affected, and you get secondary infection of the dermatosis. So those are the things you need to think about a bacterial infection. And it's very important to diagnose early because it spreads really fast and because it can be aggressive and you could always, you could have serious complications if you delay treatment or if you didn't give the right treatment. And we know they can cause septicemia especially in kids, they go really fast and you don't want to be uh, missing uh, the diagnosis and missing the treatment or the right treatment. And they can have long-term problems, especially with strep, such as nephritis, and then you could have rheumatic fever causing uh, carditis, and then there's such a thing as a post-strep uh, arthritis. So you really need to keep in mind always at the back of your mind, whether you're dealing with a staph or strep infection, which is a top two pathogens. And who are the patients prone to bacterial infection? It's your immunocompromised patients, and they're on immunosuppressives. And of course, the babies and the children, you really need to act on it because they get sick really fast. And if they get sick, uh, it's uh, increased mortality and morbidity. And patients with chronic skin infections and chronic skin conditions. So when you look at bacterial infection, you have to look whether it's localized or highly spreading, superficial or deep, or if the rash is secondary to the infection. So in other words, they don't tell you what's going on, but the rash is related to a certain infection. So what are those rashes that are re a reaction to a bacterial infection? In other words, they have the rash. You have to think at the back of your mind, is there a staph or strep? So one of the more common ones you see in kids is the first presentation of what you see is guttate psoriasis. Very, very important in kids that you, don't, that you uh, aggressively look for staph and strep. Same thing with staph scalded skin syndrome. If you swab their skin, you're not going to get staph because it's going to be sterile. You have to know where to find the staph that's causing the reaction. 
toxic shock syndrome too, uh, then scarlet fever, scarlatina, and then if people have the both lines or separation or shedding of the skin, you need to think of a bacterial infection and you need to rule that out. And if you don't rule that out, you know, it's hard. You're going to have to treat this. Okay, folliculitis, that's infection of the hair follicles. It can be superficial or deep. Staph is most common, uh, but strep, gram-negative, and even dermatophytes can cause folliculitis. And then you have the folliculitis barbae. You also have the pseudomonas folliculitis, which we call hot tub folliculitis. And that's what you see. It looks like acne, but usually the person doesn't have the acne. It just suddenly occurred, and it's follicular-based. And that's when you say, I need to do a bacterial culture. A lot of times, people don't like to take the time to do bacterial cultures anymore. Same thing with this baby. A lot of follicular-based um, um, type of uh, papules and pustules. They don't necessarily have to have the pustules. And then the most common type is the impetigo. Um, in my, in my uh, clinic, they even tell you, we got infantigo. They think it's related to infants. Impetigo can be on everybody, but they think it's because it's in their babies. They call it infantigo. So this is a superficial infection. It can be bullous or non-bullous, and it can start with erythematous papules, but by the time they come to see you, it can be honey-colored, yellow crusting. You could also have these peripheral colorets. And there, again, it starts with one. And when it's just with one, it's hard to tell whether it's a, just an excoriation. It gets bigger and bigger. It looks like a cold sore. And then before you know it, other places of the body starts to pop up. And it's because of uh, auto-inoculation, especially with kids. They touch everywhere, and then before you know it, their siblings get it because they touch everybody. That's with kids. They touch everyone. They don't have the sense of, the, you know, there's this distance between other kids. So they t touch each other. They lick each other. So before you know it, the whole daycare would have impetigo. Good for the business, but parents go crazy with impetigo because it spreads so fast. And usually by the time they come to see you, they're in their favorite topical antibiotic given by the uh, PCP, which is mupirocin. I think mupirocin is the pediatrician's favorite ointment. It's used to treat everything to the point that they're getting contact dermatitis. It doesn't seem to work anymore. That's the case. And then I would use, if it's just one lesion and it's early, I would use topical antibiotic if it's localized. If it's starting to spread, then I would use an oral antibiotic. So this is one example of a boy who has this lesion on uh, the folds of his finger. As you could see with this, you see that honey-colored, get familiar with that honey-colored crusting. So when you see that honey-colored crusting, always think you're gonna get positive 
uh, staff from that. And now your role is to determine whether it is uh, the regular OSSA or whether this is MRSA. Yo, I always kind of can't figure it out because sometimes the family can also tell you if they've had past history of MRSA, then you, there's a high chance that it's MRSA. But I usually treat it that way. I can then figure out whether I have to change antibiotics along the way. But usually, majority of the cases we have of this is actually OSSA, not MRSA. And this is the kid. He started with the uh, folds and then started spreading on the elbow. The whole face started having a lot of different um, uh, crusted lesions and of course by the time they come to see you they're in a panic because before you know it obviously some kid they have other kids at home everybody's getting it but of course in my clinic they bring one kid they want everybody treated you know I'm always doing a uh, buy one get one special but it ends up buy one get five special because they want everybody treated. That's when I put my foot down because when you treat people with antibiotics, you have to be dose related. You know, it's, it just gets so complicated. But be aware, you have a case of impetigo. You have to make sure that you tell them, hey, if you have somebody else at home who has this, uh, you need to bring them in, register them as patients, then we'll treat them. I mean, there's no such thing as a free ride, you know that, right? So, and also with PEDS, you, it, all your antibiotics is weight-based, so you cannot really just say, hey, here's this antibiotic, give it to everybody. That's just not how it works in PEDS. It's weight-based, and that's how you should explain it to the parents, but, you know, before you know it, they give it to everybody and uh, their neighbors, too. So you need to put your foot down when you're treating, like, a community-acquired infection. And that's how it looks like. A lot of people, when they present like this, uh, pediatrician, or we have those minute clinic, um, they always happen on the weekend, and they get treated with their favorite Lotrimin, antifungal, and obviously it's not going to work. So we're the experts here. If you see it spreading very fast, you always have to think about staff. And, and this is one example. They've been treated already at the Minute Clinic, and they've been even treated with an antifungal, and, and it just keeps on spreading. And you look like a rock star because you know how it is right away and you treat right away. And then it, you need to aggressively ask whether anybody else in the family has this. And inadvertently, you're going to get somebody with it too. You see, even the feet has it. This kid really picks on himself a lot. So this is a baby and this happened like very quickly. And you see that colorette, you still see that fresh pustule lesion. With this one, you break that pustule, you're going to get a culture positive for heavy growth of staph. And then they grow into big flaccid blisters. This is what I call flaccid blisters. And they grow really fast. 
And they like to go on the diaper area. As you know, cutaneous infections occurs in very, very moist area. Once again, favorite of pediatricians, the kids always being treated with nice statin before they come to see you. That's a disadvantage of being in Durham. Everybody treats it before they come and send them to you, which is very frustrating. Never anybody with a virgin rash. It's always some, they try first and then they give you the uh, disaster case. Uh, suddenly, it's a, an emergency on a Friday at 5 p.m. when they've already tried uh, treating it for the first uh, days of the week. And that's why maybe derms don't want to work on Fridays. That's just to teach them not to call us on Fridays, right? We want to have fun too. Anyway, uh, furuncles and carbuncles, uh, those are what they call boils. They're very deep perifollicular abscesses and sometimes with central necrosis and lots of really pus and it's very fluctuant. And those you really need to drain them. And IND is the best case, and in addition to oral antibiotics. Usually, uh, S-Aureus, and usually these days you're going to get the MRSAs in this. They're a little bit more aggressive. So with the superficial one, usually it's OSSA. With the deeper ones, more aggressive ones, it's usually more of the MRSA. So I usually drain them, and then I usually add a, uh, an oral antibiotic. The draining, usually I get a culture so that you get a good uh, um, antibiotic uh, panel so that you can hit the right antibiotic to treat. So this is one on, on the chest of a hairy uh, teenager. And that's on the uh, forearm of another teenager. So you see that hurts. And especially with this one, that the incision and drainage causes a lot of relief. There's so much pressure. Uh, some people even try to do a lidocaine first before they do an incision and drainage. But, you know, the, the, uh, the environment in this infected uh, boil is kind of more acidic. So your lidocaine, it's really not going to work too well in an inflamed tissue. So it really doesn't make much difference. I just kind of lance this and get the pus out. Um, this, either way, you're going to get a lot of screaming anyways. So <clears throat> I'm deaf, so I don't hear that anymore. Okay. So cellulitis, it's that I usually outline the redness that occurs because even if you drain it, you need to make sure that it's not aggressive. And especially when you're waiting for your antibiotic panel, uh, and that 48 hours can take a long time. And that one, it's rapid, cellulitis is a rapid strep, a rapid spread of the infection. And sometimes in kids, it's so rapid, you really have to make sure that they know that they're gonna go, they need to go to the ER and, and these days that, you know, if they even need to have IV antibiotics rapidly. So that's acute infection involving the sub-Q of the skin. 
and you could see that there's swelling on the surrounding skin and the borders are not elevated and they could be sharply defined. Usually there's a little bit of skin trauma prior to this and they're starting to have constitutional symptoms. And the, the ba bacteria involved in this are usually the staph aureus and also think about the uh, strep as well. And in the under two, uh, that's really an emergency because it could be due to uh, H flu uh, type B and strep pneumonia. So they can really get sick quickly. If they're babies and you see rapid spread, you need to send them to the ER. Don't, you know, don't fart around with topical antibiotic in your office. If they're under two, it's safer to send them to the ER. And then the periorbital cellulitis, again, you see this in the uh, young kids with rapid uh, swelling, rapid spread, and that is an emergency because it could spread through the orbital septum, and, and sometimes there's so much swelling, you see that proptosis, the eyeballs being pushed out, and they cannot see well, and they really need to see, uh, uh, they need to be in the ER, they need to see an ophthalmologist, they need to get uh, checked for meningitis because these babies or these young kids can get sick really fast and they could get a stroke from it because of cavernous sinus thrombosis. And it used to be due to uh, HIV, which is uh, in hemophilus uh, flu, uh, and but now it's more staph and strep. So this is considered an emergency. Uh, a lot of people think this is just really for uh, kids. Actually, one time I was doing um, a biopsy on a 10-year-old um, a uh, girl, and then the um, 10-year-old girl was getting the biopsy, and crying constantly, and that's what 10-year-old girls do. And I was looking at the mom, and she had this big red uh, nose, and it looked really painful. And then you know, I was struggling to do a biopsy on this 10-year-old who was constantly screaming. And then I could look at, I kept looking at the mom, and within a few minutes, you see the redness spreading. And I did my biopsy quickly, and I said to the mom, I think you need to go to the ER now. And, uh, and she says, what? well, she said, yeah, I feel, I feel like shit, right? And I want to be here for my 10-year-old, but I, I feel like shit, and I don't feel, but I feel kind of, I need to be supported to my 10-year-old, but I feel like shit. I said, yeah, you feel like shit because you need to go to the ER. And, uh, and she did, and I had to convince her many times because the little brat keeps on screaming and crying. And I go, hey, listen, you know, little girl, I, I feel you, you're scared, but I think this is your mom's time now. So as it turned out, it was already, she's already getting the infection through her sinus. They consulted the ENT, the CT scan showed that she started to have some uh, abscesses in her sinus. So to this day, 
you know, um, that lady, even though she, you know, it was like 10 years already, the 10-year-old is now going to college. Uh, they, they are still coming to see me. Uh, and, and, you know, that's how you feel like being a physician, being a provider, really, it's, it matters. You know, every day we complain about everything, which we have a right to, by the way. But once in a while, you get these moments that you say, hey, you know, you, you did do your job. And another thing that we say, we're in dermatology. We're really good at observing people. And throughout the years, I would say, I would suggest you take the time to study, observe people. If you do that, watch facial expressions, all that stuff, watch what they have. It really helps you out at the end of the day. And if you know that, you may be good at poker. Who knows, right? And you may get a lot of winnings from that. But I think with derms, we are so good, and we, it's an art for us that we observe. And when we observe, we could tell what people have before they can even tell you what they have. So that's something we should work on. Okay, let's move on to the next. Uh, so this is cellulitis, well demarcated in an area where you have a boil, but it just keeps on spreading. So erysipelas is superficial, not as deep, but again, due to strep, it's the most common one. You have a break in the skin, warm, shiny, very bright red infiltrated plaque with a distinct border. You could actually see there's a little raise to it. It's not just like uh, flat. So erysipelas, again, rapidly spreading. You need to think of strep, and this is a kid. This is not a sunburn, okay, because it's unilateral. It's just spreading. And the kid looks sick too. So you need to pay attention to make sure that you get them antibiotics quickly because superficial can become deep at any time. So perianal strep dermatitis. Uh, we call it in PEDS, perianal strep sore ass, okay? And uh, really frequently overlooked because it's not an area we always look at. I make it a point that when they say it itches down there, it hurts to poop, that I look down there. And uh, it's usually a very sharply circumscribed perianal erythema. You'll be surprised. You think you're just going to get E. coli cultured from there. I've uh, really cultured a lot of strep and staph down there. They could have fissuring, purulent discharge, and also uh, it's been going on for so long. They usually hold it in, and these kids are constipated because it hurts to poop because they have this fissuring. Do not forget to spread the cheeks, okay? So that's to make sure, because a lot of people would just do the strep uh, culture. They don't, sometimes it's negative up there and then you could find it in the perianal area. So that's what this looks like. Very well sharp circumscribed uh, erythema with fissuring. And when you swab that, you're gonna usually see uh, strep and that's what happened in this kid. And you, you have, 
every time I, I try to spread, one of the common things is they shut tight these kids. So you have to say, relax, suck on a lollipop, then you'll get your culture quickly. And another thing is if you're doing a strep culture, they, don't, they close their mouth and they don't want to open to do a strep culture. Uh, unfortunately, I'm kind of, they say, oh, you make your patients cry all the time, Dr. Kwong. So what I do is that they, they just like close their mouth. They don't want to do it. So I pinch their nose. They have to breathe somehow. And they, they start crying. And, and then I stick the, the swab right away. So that's a trick. And uh, unfortunately, that's how you do it. But it works. Nobody likes to get that stick, uh, uh, that culture. Or in older kids, you know, you have those moms go, please open your mouth, Junior. Oh, I can't stand those parents. They go, please, please, please. And then I leave the room, I go see two other patients because they're still negotiating. And then I come back, there's still the mom and the dad going, please open your mouth, Junior. And then I go, okay, I'm not going to get an answer because you're refusing a strep culture. So I'm going to write a requisition. We're going to do uh, anti-streptolysin uh, like, O titer. What does that mean? You're going to get a blood test. You don't need to open your mouth. You're going to get a blood test. And that's when they open their mouth. Okay. Yeah. So I pinched their nose and threatened to get, get them a shot. I also threaten if there are a lot of kids in the room and I have to do a shot on one child and I have extra and they're like screaming the whole time. I can't hear the mom. The mom can't hear me. I have to repeat everything. I said, listen, whoever is going to be making a noise in the next few seconds is going to get a shot. It works like a charm. They go in the corner, and they are so quiet. But sometimes it goes against you because sometimes you have a chorus of screaming and crying because I threaten them. Yeah, that's once in a while. Most of the time, they, it works like a charm. Okay, blistering dactylitis. You see a bullous manifestation you get a little blister of the finger. It's very tense, very painful. It almost looks like herpetic whitlow. Yeah, kids, they get that. What do they do? They stick their, no their thumb or finger in their nose, and they, they stick it in their butt, and they stick it somewhere else. It's kids. Kids are disgusting, okay? That's why they have this more common in kids. Very tender finger, okay? Think of strep and staph. See, that's the one. You get that pus around the nail, paronychia, because they bite the nails and then stick it in their ass and then bite it again. I see it in front of me. <clears throat> Disgusting. And then what about the skin reactions to bacterial culture? So these are the, the, the rashes you see, and you have to think of staph, or strep. So, staff scalded skin syndrome, 
they get this exfoliation because the staph aureus uh, produces a toxin, which is called an exfoliative toxin, ETA or ATB. And generally starts with infection somewhere else, like the conjunctiva, the nose, again, nose picking, perioral region. Remember, it can be in the perineum and umbilicus. And the initial nidus can be from pneumonia as well, septic arthritis, endocarditis, and pyomyositis, but that's rare. And they can have fever, malaise, lethargy, irritability, poor feeding, and erythema, crusting, and they start to have denudation. It looks like they have a sunburn on certain areas, but they had not been out in the sun because they were feeling kind of tired and, and, and with myalgias. And Nikolsky sign is when you scratch the skin, the skin kind of separates from the rest of the skin, and that's positive. So this is, oh, this is my Friday special. So the patient comes in on a Friday afternoon. The pediatrician had seen her already Monday and tried her on, uh, what well, again, their favorite right now because they're so afraid of MRSA, had given her um, uh, Septra. So despite all of this, the patient is still progressing. And if you look at it, it's the concentration around the periorbital area, the perioral area, and the neck, and you see the denudation of the neck. See that? It looks like he's having this, uh, like, desquamation, okay? And see that neck? It looks like a sunburn. It's blotchy. And you touch her, it's like, oh, it's painful, like a sunburn. But it's like weird. It's around the eyes, all this crusting around the nose and around the mouth. Same thing with another kid. You see that crusting around the nose, around the eyes, around the mouth. We call it the pie-in-the-face appearance. Look like if you have a pie and, you know, you want to throw it at somebody and it's like crusted around those areas. I call it pie-in-the-face appearance. See that? So, and it looks like he's got that sunburn look, but he wasn't in the sun. This is that even more baby is very irritable, pie in the face appearance located in those special areas. And now even in the newborn, that's an emergency because they can really get sick. So in those cases, you see that pie uh, around the face, so in those cases, you really have to uh, be vigilant. You do a culture of that crusted area, it's going to be negative. But you do a culture usually of the nares, conjunctiva, the folds of the skin, the umbilicus, and do not forget the perianal area because those are where you could find the staph. And I had the case of somebody who had that, and they actually found it in the perianal area because everywhere else they couldn't find anything. And then in the past, toxic shock syndrome is also very popular. The classic case was they were using super absorbent tampons, and, and 
I guess uh, these girls didn't change their tampons, and that was a nidus for staph infection. And they, they rapidly got sick, ended up in ICU with hypotension and multi-system organ involvement. You could also get non-menstrual cases when they had nasal packings that, do, that they didn't change, post, postpartum stage where they have packings down there, and a variety of staph infection. And in TSS, they could be really sick. They have diffuse macular erythroderma, desquamation, palms and soles, hypotension, multisystemic involvement of three or more uh, uh, systems like GI, musculoskeletal, renal, hepatic, hematologic, and CNS. So it's an emergency. So when you see somebody who has that rapid thing, you know, uh, do their blood pressure, do their temperature, and of course, be ready to send them to the ER. And then, um, and also, of course, ID gets involved because they have to rule out other things. And this is one case that I saw. If you look at this one, look at the uh, look at the um, the desquamation. That's a la desquamation. So he was just peeling and peeling and peeling. And in this case, we did a culture of the conjunctiva. We did a strap. We did cultures of the folds, the umbilicus, nothing. His was in the perianal area. And then his was more of a MRSA. And uh, MRSA, we thought, oh, we could treat it with sulfa. In this case, his MRSA was resistant to sulfa. We could treat him with Cipro. So it's really a changing environment. We always think that MRSA can be treated just with sulfa, and that's it. But in this case, it was a Cipro product. But as you could see, he, uh, he is just desquamating so much. See how his hand, it's almost like he's losing all of his skin there. And at the at discharge, he actually left me this uh, souvenir that's from his feet. Oh, he, he, he had the, the softest skin after discharge, you know. So, uh, so I, it's like a, a snake. You see that desquamated skin. I would say he would be the most serious case of desquamation that I have ever seen. And then scarlet fever, scarlatina, is when you see that sandpapery skin. So, of course, a lot of times it's caused by a group A strep, and they can have fever, chills, sore throat, headaches, and again, they could have that big tonsils that's almost touching, and they could, if you see closely, in other words, if they open their mouth for you, then you could see those petechial macules of the palate, and the tongue can have that white strawberry appearance, and they have that red strawberry tongue. They can have that circumoral pallor. They could have that cervical lymphadenopathy. And then they may even have some pasteous line, which is a petechial component of the flexural uh, areas. They could also desquamate. And the desquamation can occur about two, three weeks after the, the, the infection. 
And this is the typical appearance. You have a whole body, like bumps everywhere, but very fine bumps. They are mostly not itchy, but could be a little itchy. And this is the, the bumps everywhere. And when you see that, you always make sure you're ruling out strep. And always make sure that if you're doing the strep in the throat, do it on the other end too. And the other thing, see that's the strawberry tongue with the prominence of the papillae. And that's the desquamation that we see post-scarlet fever. And they will see you again for that because they think they have other things going on with them and then they panic. And this is what we mean by onychomadesis, and that's usually secondary to strep, where the patients, especially kids, start peeling their nails. And again, it's, it's very it's non-painful and they just peel and all I tell them is just make sure you trim that hangnail because they could get caught in socks and then then you have a traumatic avulsion but I usually try to tell them there's nice new healthy nail underneath you don't really need to do anything with this because usually they've been treated for strep already all you need to do is reassure them, but there is an entity where you could actually shed the nails. And usually, if they haven't been treated, you could look for strep. And once again, if I look for strep in one person, I always urge them to look for strep in the contacts. Otherwise, they're going to have everybody give it back and forth, and they will all say, you, you miss the diagnosis because they keep getting it. And guttate psoriasis, again, very common presentation in kids, and you need to look for strep in kids. You always have to rule that out because that may be the first presentation of psoriasis, and psoriasis, as you know, is a chronic condition. And if you could change the course, we may be able to change it at an early stage and when they present to you as guttate psoriasis. So the other things you need to look out for is secondary impetigenization of other dermatosis. One of the more common ones is atopic dermatitis. We see atopic dermatitis day in and out, and you need to recognize when to treat it and whether you need to kind of help the atopic dermatitis by treating the staph and even strep infection. A lot of people think that tinea capitis is just due to fungus. We're seeing again and again that those pus the pus heads you see in tinea capitis is not due to fungus or due to just the carrion of the fungus. If you do a culture of them, you're going to find staph or even MRSA in those lesions. And then, as you say, psoriasis can also be secondarily infected. This is a kid uh, that is constantly itching because he has a primary atopic dermatitis. When you see that crusting, no matter what you do, you treat with topical steroid, they are not improving. You're going to see that when you treat them for a staph infection, 
they clear really quickly. So a lot of the times when you're at this stage, bleach baths is not enough. You may have to add in an oral antibiotic. Same thing with this kid. The face is all excoriated. This did not happen overnight. This happened over months, and they have a lot of um, heavy growth of staph, and I add in antibiotics to this, and when you do that, you're going to see clearance. If you don't add the antibiotic, you're going to struggle with your topicals. This is another one. In babies, the face is common, and that distresses your parents, and they cannot get pictures because you couldn't clear them with your topical uh, medications. Another one, uh, this one, it's like oozing, miserable baby. So bleach baths is just not enough in these kids. It is an adjunct, but you need to do, you need to treat the active uh, infection. And this is a tinea capitis that's painful, and you really need to think of staph infection. This one, we cultured MRSA. So I usually treat the MRSA first for the first 10 days and then move on to the antifungal treatment for the next two months. So I usually do two cultures, one bacterial from the pus head, and then the other one I do a scraping to, uh, to culture for the fungals. So, in summary, approach to treatment. Usually have to uh, uh, do an empirical treatment, and then I usually culture to determine sensitivity so that you, it will guide you as to what antibiotics to treat. Top, do you have a whole slew of topical antibiotics, but think about systemic antibiotics if they're spreading. And as I said, I gave you some uh, cases where uh, it's, uh, there are special pediatric considerations. Don't be afraid to do IND. And think about prevention. Think about the contacts. Treat the contacts. Know where to look when you're looking for bacterial infection. Topical antibiotics, we have a lot out there. And we're going to get more. And I didn't add to this list uh, ritapamilin. Uh, good antibiotics, but hard to access. So a lot of people actually have these other uh, antibiotics on board, but there will be new antibiotics coming, so uh, look for those new antibiotics. Systemic antibiotics, you need to know what these systemic antibiotics cover. That's why your sensitivity is very important. Uh, so a lot of people say, why waste the time and effort and money to do sensitivities? These bacteria are evolving, so you need to know your antibiotics. You need to know which one to use. And special pediatric considerations, always ask about allergies. Uh, always know which one is, is safe in children. Obviously, doxy, you don't want to give it to children under nine because of the teeth complications. 
Cipro is not uh, uh, recommended in children under nine because they get deposited in the growth plate. And of course, you have those kids, you know, you have those kids who cannot swallow, come on. Uh, then you have liquid, and, they have, and they're like big kids, they have to drink gallons of antibiotics. Oh, but they couldn't just take pills. And then, as I said, one, it's, one size doesn't fit all. You have to know your dosing. So all the time when I have residents in my clinic, uh, they have their dosing uh, cheat card. You have to also consider costs and consider drug interactions. Surgical treatment, think about that when you're dealing with um, um, boils and carbuncles. And treatment of skin bacterial infect, in, infection, as I said, cultures are important. Know where to culture, do a complete physical exam, recognize those yellow crusting, those wet lesions. Do not forget to look in the groin, perianal area, the dark areas where the sun doesn't shine, look there, the eyelids, external ear canals, folds, they could be in there too. And don't forget to treat contacts. They may also include Fido, the dog, because dogs are now known to be carriers of staff as well. But the cats, not so much, because I think they do their own uh, cleaning. Prevention, disinfectants such as bleach baths. I usually do half a cup of bleach in a foot of water, and they soak in there for five minutes and then they rinse. And my ID specialist likes to use Hibiclens wash, and then um, I like to do mupirocin to the nostrils and to the body folds, uh, especially after an active infection, twice a day for the next two weeks. And we disinfect surfaces. And I say no toys in the bathtubs. The bathtub is for cleaning, uh, for, for washing, it's not for uh, playing, you know, all your toys. So because they also carry a lot of bacteria. So no loofahs, none of this extra stuff. And from shavers, uh, women, uh, teenage girls who like to shave their legs. Yeah, so I usually tell them to change the blades, maybe use disposable uh, shavers. And warn your patients that their staff can be recurrent. Uh, so again, you can get recurrence because you didn't ask about how they're shaving. Uh, so they can be recurrent because you didn't treat another person in the family. And then, as I said, if they have family pets, they may want to uh, have them checked as well. So that's for prevention. And community-acquired MRSA, and as we said, is a special consideration. It, they're aggressive. It's not just in the hospital setting anymore. It's now more and more common in the community. And eradication, we said we tried those mupirocin. Uh, we treat the nares and the folds. We do bleach pass, hibiclens, contacts, mouthwash to treat the, phaling, the, the pharynx, and we soak the toothbrushes and combs in mouthwash as well. So it's a disinfectant. 
Clorox wipes the surfaces, change linens daily, and we use the disposable razors. And tips to take home, look for the source, don't, look, don't be afraid to look at the perianal area, treat contacts confirmed by cultures, ask about environmental sources, know your topical antibiotics, your oral antibiotics. Not everything that's brown is fungus. Know the bacteria that can cause skin rashes. And at this point, we're going to do the post-test. So this is, uh, staff's called it skin syndrome, and I'm not going to repeat A, B, C, D, or E. So what's your answer? Good. So that's the answer. And 97% paying attention. <clears throat> so we improve um, from 68% to 97%. Second question, scarlet fever. A, B, C, D, or E? So 89%, okay, should be treated penicillins. There's not a lot of risk. It's, there's no resistance, thank God, with the strep. They don't work with sulfur drugs. So 89%. So people who knew about this, it's the same. Okay, number three question. Strep can be treated with the following antibiotics. A, B, C, D, E, or F. Good. You guys are rock stars. good. And number four, MRSA. A, B, C, D, E, or F. good. At this point, <clears throat> I don't, <clears throat> I don't utilize uh, PCR at this point. Um, I think it's a very tedious uh, problem. So when obtaining a bacterial skin culture, what do you think about cleaning the skin with alcohol first and getting the swab wet with the cultural medium. I think that you just need to get that pus 
and uh, I don't think it, it matters whether you do the swab. I don't do the uh, alcohol swab because it stings like hell and you're dealing with the kid and you put the alcohol swab and they just scream at you. So you know you're gonna get the staff and you want to get that staff. I don't even do the alcohol swab. I just go straight for to get the medium. And I don't even uh, wet it with the cultural medium. I just go for it. Do you use neosinolar to treat secondary? Yes, I treat secondary infected eczema. You need to get the itching down because, so you need to use a topical steroid in addition to your antibiotics because a lot of times people forget to treat the eczema and you're not uh, treating the patient well. You have to treat the infection and the eczema together. When draining a cyst, do you pack it? Uh, I do pack it, especially if it's a deep one. Um, is benzoyl peroxide effective against strep? Um, to some degree, it can uh, actually kill bacteria kind of in general, but I don't, I think it may help to dry up the skin. It can be used as an adjunct, but in terms of like really eradicating it, you depending, it depends on the concentration of bacteria you have. Do you use the same swab when culturing multiple sites or a different swab for each site? That's a good uh, question. It depends. You know you have these patients who's like, I can only afford one test and they kind of negotiate with you. And then you say, well, I will know where your bacteria is coming from. It could be from your nose or it could be from your asshole, but let's go treat you. And um, typically you want to do it on different sites. Should all children, adults with gut aid psoriasis uh, be sent for strep tests? I believe you should because uh, you need to rule that out, especially with children. Uh, in adults, the question is, do they have gut aid psoriasis? And sometimes it could look like pityriasis rosea, and you need to kind of do a differentiation. And uh, um, so I would still do strep as a uh, one of your investigational tool. I'm an atopic infant. There's infants in the audience? Uh, he is a topic infant that has impetigenized plaques on the face and oral and antibiotics and topicals aren't working. Would you do cultures? I would do cultures in the, yes, I would. Do you start them on antibiotics before you get the culture back with the sensitivity? And then do you change it if not sensitive? Yes, I do start them empirically uh, because you want to make sure that you you are ahead of the game. The only uh, uh, disadvantage is you, if it's the wrong antibiotics, you need to crawl back to your patients and say, oh, I got you on the wrong antibiotics. But I do warn them, if it's the wrong antibiotic, I need to switch you on it. Maybe I have one patient who got mad on me because they said they spent $20 on the original antibiotics and they want their money back because they already paid $20. And 
Do you often use non-steroidal anti-inflammatory topical to treat the impetigenized eczema? Are there Pfizer people here? No, I don't. Uh, it depends. Um, you, it depends on the severity. If it is mild, uh, typically when they're impetigenized, they're not mild anymore. They're usually severe. So I usually bring the fire down with the uh, topical steroids together with the antibiotics. What is your go-to topical antibiotic prior to receiving any culture results? Um, I'd like to use mepirocin right now because that's the most cheapest at this point. Uh, and I hope that if you could afford it, you could have the other ones that actually is a little bit more wider spectrum. And I think there's going to be a new antibiotic that's going to be launched in August that's going to be also covering better coverage, less resistance, and, you know, it's going to come and be launched in August. And how to tell difference between SSSS and Kawasaki? So SSSS, I told you, has that pie-in-the-face appearance. Kawasaki, you have to uh, follow the criteria. They have to have this kind of uh, the skin um, manifestation is not very specific in Kawasaki. These kids are sick, sick. The sickest of all is Kawasaki. They have a very high fever that's persistent for more than five days. And they have this big, giant, bald cervical lymphadenopathy. So the criteria you have to reach to get to Kawasaki is different for SSSS. SSSS, you see that typical crusted kind of peeling uh, skin that's concentrated around the periorbital, perinasal, perioral area, and the neck. So you could actually differentiate that. They're not as sick, and, and, and they're not, it's, it's a different entity. Do you treat for possibility of staph or use nasal carriage, always do nasal cultures to prove this, or do you also culture and or treat family members? I usually would do it if you're having recurrence. The first time, hopefully, you pray that it's just the first time you've hit it at one time. But if they keep on getting recurrence, then you may want to go further and do nasal cultures in the family or just go ahead and treat everybody. Okay. Are there any more questions? Okay. Thank you very much. This has been a presentation of Dermcast.tv, the official online media resource for the Society of Dermatology PAs.